0: Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church and for those that are disillusioned. Should you wish to contact us, our email address is ogc at accessradio.biz and check out our Facebook page, Off Grid Christianity. Today's guests have been happily married. Well, I hope they've been happily married since 1984 and are well known for being in their acting profession as well as music. They're very popular guests in churches and events, sharing their faith. Gold records galore from sales for both of them, despite one of the two rejecting an offer to form a band with his friend from Cheltenham. But hey, who would want to be in the Rolling Stones? It gives me great pleasure to welcome to Off Grid Christianity from Manfred Mann, the blues band and legendary, legendary even presenter of Radio 2's The Blues Show, Paul Jones. Paul, thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you company, sir. How are you thank feeling? Thank you, me? Martin. And you're all well. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Good stuff. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome also an accomplished actress, star of ITV's The Widows, now a US movie remake, and she played Bianca once for the Royal Shakespeare's company production of Kiss Me, Kate. She's the wife of Paul. Hello, Fiona Hendley. Hello, Fiona. Thanks for joining us as well.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) You're very welcome. Well, fingers on the buzzers no conferring of that's okay i think you might have heard these podcast questions before so we'll see how we go on that that'd be great and uh, because you're a couple i've also got a bonus question or two lined up at the end let's see how we get on Uh, will i get away with it question number one if you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal alive or dead so that you could ask them questions who would it be let's go with fiona first who would you go with fiona
1: well, I would go with somebody that possibly lots of people would go with, but I just can't help but say Mother Teresa. And it's because, you know, as a teenager, I remember struggling with a whole idea of nuns. I wasn't a Christian at that point. I did believe that there was a God, but I hadn't yet come into a relationship with a loving heavenly father. And I heard about nuns and I thought, well, why do they sort of, lock themselves away in these big places and Mm. never come out. Of course, I didn't understand about the power of prayer then. Um, But when I heard about Mother Teresa and the glorious and beautiful things that she did in her life and the giving and the loving, the meekness, the gentleness, wanting to just help people in life, wow, that changed everything. And I would just love to sit with her and say, how did you? What was your experience of Jesus, and what put that burning desire in mm. you to love people?
0: Great answer! Great answer! Thank you very much indeed. You haven't been the first person to choose her, I'm just saying it's <laughs> a good choice. I knew
1: it, I knew it. I knew it.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Paul. Sir, who would you choose?
2: The painter. Caspar David Friedrich, Ooh. who lived a couple of centuries ago. And he comes into our testimony because uh, it, basically it was his paintings that start, softened my atheism around the edges and eventually destroyed it completely so that I was then ready uh, when the opportunity arose to become a Christian. I, wow. uh, would, I, I, I would love to be able to ask him what, what it was like. He, he was, um, because his Christianity was so uh, very much in the forefront of what he did, um, there were people who um, made fun of him, and uh, possibly you'd go even far enough to say mocked mm. him, and his circle of Christian friends and colleagues. Also, uh, because I'm still alive and he's not, I would be able to tell him how, much, how enormous his influence was after he died and also um, ask him what he thought about the fact that now his work is often used or dragged in to somewhat uh, darker artistic projects. Okay. Um, I think he possibly would be a little bit concerned about that, and I would love to know what he thought.
0: What's his name again?
2: Kaspar Friedrich, middle name David, or David. I can pronounce David
0: if I um, that. Where's he from, or where yeah. was he from, Paul? Uh,
2: I think he was originally Scandinavian, possibly Danish. I'm not sure. Um, but he lived in Germany for, I think, most of his um, considerable working life.
0: And how many years ago are we talking about?
2: Uh, two centuries ago, roughly. Um, so, which would make him a contemporary of Wordsworth or Beethoven yeah. or somebody. But, yeah, yeah. but um, he, he, interestingly, he his work influenced the set designer of. What was that uh, musical thing that Cliff did?
1: Oh, um, Heathcliff
2: he, he, Yes, there's Heathcliff The, the, the uh, musical of Wuthering Heights, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah And um, it, I didn't know because we never went to see it But uh, Cliff told us l- many years later that uh, it was Friedrich who was the inspiration for the set design of uh, oh, wow. that Heathcliff
0: joint Wow I saw Cliff in Time, but that's—I don't think that was inspired at all by uh,
2: by no, David. No, uh, it, it was inspired by Marvel comics, wasn't
0: it? Oh, something like that. And um, oh <laughs> well, yeah. Dave Clark of the Dave Clark Five, I think, produced it, didn't he? Yes,
2: he, yes, it was. Dave yeah. he was the producer. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It was good. It was yes. a good little show. Couldn't understand a word of it, mind, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was very good. Um, thank you for that answer. That's great. Question two, then. Um, Fiona, again, back to you. Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable, please, Fiona?
1: Well, I mean, this is a completely um, naughty question. It's not really supposed to be allowed because it depends where you are on your journey, doesn't it? But, all right, so I'm going to be very obvious again and say someone who tonnes of people will have said, but it's it's the truth, so I have to say it. I'm going to say Joseph, because Which one? I have gone Which back. one? Oh, I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> Joseph in the Technicolor Dream wonderful coat. coat that his father made for him, Jacob yes. made for him, in the Old Testament. In I just love that story. I just absolutely love the fact that this young man, yes, he was loved by his father more than his brothers, and he was the sort of last little son to come along for a while uh, you know and so now Jacob's an older man and and it's not nice when that happens I'm not the youngest in my family but I feel for Joseph because he gets a sort of he gets lots of people saying he was sort of braggadocious yes but when he had those dreams he was just excited 17 year old excited he tells his brothers and they hate him even more for it and of course they try and kill him and Throw him down a pit, you know. But what the wonderful thing about Joseph is that he never gives up. The things that happen to him, you know, he was thrown down a pit, supposed to be torn to shreds by wild animals. Okay, they change their minds and instead sell him as a slave. So now he's a slave sent to Egypt, but he just gets on with things and makes the best of everything in any situation he's in he makes the best and it says the lord was with him and the favor of god was on him and it was seen on him the fact that he had this relationship with god and there he is in potiphar's house a slave and yet Mm -hmm. he does his best and he makes the most of it and potiphar just you know gives him run of everything Mm. It's just a very encouraging thing on our journeys in life. So what happens is, you know, Potiphar's wife tries to lie with him. He runs away. She lies about him and says, you know, he tried to rape me. So Potiphar throws him now in prison. So now he's had his family try to kill him. He's now in prison for something he didn't do. He was trying his best. You would think that he'd be in the corner of a prison cell, you know, rocking backwards and forwards, sort of in a state of great despair. And yet, no, he tries to help run the prison. So he is now doing his absolute best to help the jailers run that place. And he's in there for years. Eventually a butler and a baker get thrown in prison by Pharaoh and he walks into where they are one day and says to them, why are you looking so sad? Actually, Joseph, you're in prison as well. You're a prisoner. What do you mean? Why are we looking sad? You should be sad. But he wasn't. He was holding on to the dream that he had when he was 17. He had this wonderful couple of dreams that showed that one day he would do something great. And, you know, very often if you have a dream, you can't always tell people because they won't understand. But the wonderful thing is one day Pharaoh has a dream, as you know. And Joseph was brilliant at interpreting dreams. He had a gift from God to interpret dreams. He did so for Pharaoh and was made prime minister. He came out of prison. I love it. Just before he's released from prison, when, when Pharaoh finds out that he can interpret dreams, and you can imagine the jailers coming to get him, and he, they say, "You Pharaoh wants to see you. And he says, just a minute. And he goes and shaves puts on clean clothes gets himself ready to stand before the pharaoh i just this man is amazing and of course he is able to interpret pharaoh's dream mm. and pharaoh's just knocked out by the wisdom that he can see that he has a relationship with this amazing god and makes him prime minister and he's able to stop people going through famine, starving to death, he he comes up with a plan. The Lord obviously helps him with a plan so that people can eat through this terrible famine time. And it's just a wonderful story. And he even meets up with his family again and forgives them for what they did to him. When I've been feeling, oh, this journey could be hard or uh, this difficulty or this challenge has come along, I think, no, look at Joseph. Look at the way that he... He stayed in there with you, Lord. He made the best of every difficult situation he ever dealt with. And he came out and he got to his dream in the end the dream that you'd put in his heart way back when he was a 17 year old boy. And um, it's very, very inspiring and encouraging.
0: Brilliant answer. I think that's probably the the best answer I've ever had for that question. Thank you, Fiona. (laughs) <laughs> uh, very good indeed and I, I, obviously you know because i, I know you listened to the, the christmas edition with uh with noel and uh martin scott and uh my question was about joseph uh because he was the first tennis player in the bible of course as uh as he duly found out because he served in the courts of egypt <laughs> moving on very sw- moving on very swiftly to paul uh <laughs>
2: paul who would you choose please good sir well i've, I've chosen um I'm not going to come anywhere near that. <laughs> I,
1: I, I've, chosen,
2: I've chosen Mordecai. Oh, yeah. Or rather the, the Book of Esther. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he seems a jolly decent chap. I mean, he, he is, he, he's got an uncle and aunt, and they've got a little girl, a daughter, who is therefore his cousin. And the uncle and aunt die, and so he becomes parent, as it were, to the little girl, yeah, <clears throat> and she grows up beautiful, and as you know she um she becomes the the queen of Ahasuerus or Xerxes, whether you want to call him by his Persian or his Greek name. <laughs> so, yeah, Azuerus gets very uh, at cross with his existing wife who refuses to obey a command that he utters and so she loses her job and um, and then he looks for the sort of most beautiful young woman he can find and it turns out to be esther and so mordecai becomes you know sort of family to the royal family of whatever it, it was he constantly sort of advising esther through this story but but he's also allows himself to be advised by her because she might be sort of closer to the king as she is with a better grasp of sort of the rules and regulations Mm. and how things work and so on anyway the story is that the there's this horrible character who if this were a pantomime would be sort of Baron Badbreth or something. And uh, his, his name, his name is, is Haman. And basically, he, he's anti-Semitic yeah. to the point of distraction. He basically wants to kill all the Jews. Esther tells her cousin uh, or guardian, it might be the better way to look at yeah. it, Mordecai about this and 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 Mordecai's response is very very straightforward he says well if he gets his way don't forget that you will be one of the people that he exterminates because he wants to kill all the Jews she says you know she doesn't even say well I know that because she does know that yeah and essentially What's great about the story and why it's so sort of enjoyable, really, is that the the awful Haman uh, creates his own destruction. And it's purely because he's so self-centered and so pleased with himself. And the king has been warned by Mordecai in the past that a couple of people who were close to him, working for him, you know, high up in, in the sort of royal circle, were plotting to kill him. And so he brings the plot to the notice of the king, and the king gets rid of the two plotters and says, thank you very much. But he, doesn't, he hasn't sort of done anything to help Mordecai. So at some point he thinks, really, I ought to do something to reward Mordecai for saving my life, Yeah, essentially. And Haman, meanwhile, has cooked up this plot as to to get the king to agree that all the Jews in the whole country must be exterminated. He's going to be invited to a lunch, which the king and the queen, Esther, are having the following day. And he plans to hang Mordecai outside the castle and uh, so... He, it erects this uh, gallows, which is 50 meters high or something like that. And th- then the king says to him, Haman, what do you think ought to be done to somebody deserving of royal favor? And, of course, Haman thinks it's him that the king is talking about says oh my goodness well you've got to give him a horse that you've ridden on and uh, clothing that you've worn and you've got to uh, have special pageants where he is riding this horse through the crowds and they are clapping and all that sort of stuff and the king says marvelous Uh, go and get that sorted for Mordecai (laughs) love it yeah and of course in the end it's Haman who gets hung on the gallows that he has built himself for the purpose of killing Mordecai. And the Jews are all saved. And not only Haman, but anybody else who hates Jews, anybody anti-Semitic, is dealt with as well. And I think it's a it's a marvelous story. And Mordecai comes out of it as. A, it, he's actually very humble, but at the same time, he's not afraid to to say what things are when they are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I like him.
0: Wow! Well, there was I saying, uh, Fiona's answer was probably the greatest. I think it's <laughs> it's a, a very close, very close contest uh, between yours and uh, Fiona's. Paul, thank you. And Baron Baron Badbreath, I think that's that is a character I should always associate now. With, with uh with a hammond thank you just by the way very quickly in your musical careers your acting careers uh, did either of you ever think of doing joseph in the Technicolor Coat, or maybe you did
2: oh I, I did it more than once i think it might have been three times altogether wow um
1: i think you would have been i wish I'd seen it i, I wish but it was uh um, you know quite a long time ago but I've seen pictures, and you look absolutely the perfect Joseph. <laughs>
2: wow. Yes. Well, uh, well, until Jason Donovan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whoever he is. But,
2: but, but you know, any, more or less any actor of uh, my age and build had to do it at one time or another. Where did you do it, Paul? One of the places was the Westminster Theatre, which was actually owned by the Moral Rearmament organization uh, wow. at one time. I also did tours of it. I can remember being on tour. Oh, Ken Hill directed yeah. Yeah. at least one of the productions that I was in and it went on tour and he'd done a couple of sort of clever things, uh, little additions. And we, we got to Oxford and Andrew Lloyd Webber came to see it and he left behind a note saying that such and such a piece of additional musical cleverness would be removed from the production by the following evening, or the production would cease. Wow! So, so yeah, so it was. It was. It didn't affect me actually. Whatever it was, oh, so it, so it, it, it wasn't a harmonica
0: solo then, or anything else like that.
2: No, it wasn't. I I did actually, funnily enough, I did actually play a harmonica solo in the Westminster Theatre production. It was a little sort of cowboy piece that Tim Rice did called One More Angel in Heaven, if you remember that. No. It had a sort of loping horse-hoof sort of rhythm to it. And it it was very much a sort of round-the-campfire sort of piece of music. And so... The same director who put in the other cunning bit yeah. put in my harmonica solo, but it wasn't uh, rejected. As, as far as I know, uh, Andrew Roy Weber never sort of took any exception to it. Oh, in fact, that? he he hired my harmonica more than once. on oh, other you occasions. See?
0: There's, a, there's a nice story on the outcome of that. Thank you. I just matter of interest, was this before or after you became a Christian that you did Joseph?
2: Oh, well before. I mean, jo- wasn't Joseph in the early 70s it first came the out I, 70s 70s. I actually yeah. I actually did a, a a record of it I remember what one of the productions that I was in was recorded and it came out on Music for Pleasure
0: yeah from,
2: from EMI record yeah, yeah. and and uh, it was a production in which Tim Rice was playing the, the narrator or something I can't remember I think he must have been he was definitely in it yes Wow, wow. Anyway, well, that's, that's, all that, that is a happened. very, very long time ago, so it's hard for me to remember <laughs> detail.
0: <laughs> yeah, a, that's great, thank you. Question three. If you could, if you were, should I say, Prime Minister for the day and could change any law or an a new law, what would it be? Fiona, what would you do?
1: Oh, very quickly, um, just thinking... I, I, I would love it if people who... You know, there are people that study theology yeah. they go to they become theologians and they don't they're not christians and so they've got no interest in being in a relationship with the lord at all they just want to yeah. study the bible and then teach it as sort of as a very academic thing yes yes and i think it would be great if you couldn't do that if you weren't able to go and teach unless you had an intimate relationship with the Lord and you were filled with his loving presence. Um yeah. But I don't think that would be possible. Well <laughs> but that's just what I'm saying.
0: The cynical side of me would say, Oh, I wonder how many churches would not would not have a vicar on the Sunday if that well, Lord came out.
1: Well, well possibly possibly who knows but it it would just it's just so wonderful yeah. when somebody who really loves the Lord and is in a relationship with him teaches the word of God yeah, yeah. because yeah. you know it's about finding out about God's heart it's isn't it? so different isn't it? it's so different yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: never had that answer before that's a great one thank you Fiona. paul sir your prime minister today what would you do
2: apart from Stopping certain legislation which has been before the courts, before the um, public, and the um, Houses of Parliament, and also the extension of the ultra-low emission zone, go get to the absolute outskirts of London, and probably after in a few years' time, well beyond. Um, no, I, I, I decided that those weren't sufficiently important, so. My answer to this question is really, at the very least, reducing the amount of time that people can abort children. Mm -hmm. And certainly, I would begin by imprisoning anybody who tried to allow it to happen after the birth. Anyway, that is very much legislation that i would wow
0: well wait till you hear Anne widdicombe's answer mm-hmm. i recorded her on wednesday and that'll be going out sometime in march wow yeah. mm-hmm. it seems to be the, the number one answer on, on this particular podcast thank you yeah, Paul, for that yeah. thank you uh, question four outside of family events what has been your most enjoyable day out
1: fiona okay um this is a a, a thing that I, I didn't expect to happen so I didn't expect it to happen, and I certainly didn't expect it to be enjoyable. Paul and I got an invitation to go to Number 10 Downing Street. Okay. And this was a few years ago, and I, w- I thought it was a hoax, completely a hoax. And I just thought, don't be ridiculous, this yeah. can't be true. Well, I thought, well, possibly Paul might be invited, but I certainly didn't think I would be. But I had a good But you had a gig and the invitations were separate. They weren't, you know, to both of us. It was separate. So I was just slightly amazed. I was free. And I thought, well, is this really true? Yes, we did some investigations. It was. So uh, I decided, okay, I'll go. So I remember going through the sort of, um, you know, the bag check and everything. Mm. And uh, the, the people before me went, walked down the road, went into number 10 and then I walked down the road on my own and it was quite nice that I was on my own because it was very surreal to Mm. me and um, I knocked on the door the door opened showed me showed the invitation and I wasn't turned away (laughs) so in I went and they took my bags they took my phone and then they told me you know go up the stairs and turn left and go down the corridor and so on and so forth and I, I was walking up the stairs and seeing all these prime ministers, seeing all these paintings and praying under my breath, you know, just praying over the place, you know, just mm-hmm. thinking of lovely things to pray for whoever would come into that building and then walked down the corridor and came to these two big double doors. And I had to go in there and there were about 60, 70 people in there. Wow. And wonderfully, there were people I knew. Uh, there are people in media who are Christians. There were people who, um, you know, do missions or are bishops yeah, right. and heads of churches, um, you know, people in, in the theatre world that are Christians. Yeah. So it was lovely to see all these people because there was no clue as to why you were just going to this gathering, but they hadn't made it clear at yeah, all. Yeah. And so I'm seeing all these lovely people, talking to people, talking to different people. Uh, people in politics and then suddenly David Cameron who was at the time Prime Minister he stood up and he began to thank everybody Uh, and he began to thank everybody for doing what they did as Christians and for being in Christian ministry of sorts and honestly you could have knocked me down with a feather I I was so shocked I think the whole room was shocked there was just silence and everybody was slightly sort of warmed. And I drove home thinking, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Did that really happen? <laughs> and I know that they do that sort of thing. Um, you know, they will have groups of people that they thank for doing. But it just seemed like it was very special that there yeah. was any clue that anybody was doing what they, they do in Christian ministry.
0: Wow. Thank you. For that. That's brilliant to be able to go to number 10. Brilliant. It was. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, where was your gig that night? Can you remember?
2: No, I can't remember. <laughs> it's it's, just, it's all a bit of a blur. But um, no, it's not. I mean, but but the thing is there are things that you have to remember and uh, yes, things absolutely. that you don't have to remember. And where that gig was doesn't really matter. No, not just either. I was working
0: yeah, 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 absolutely. No, it's a great answer. Thank you for that. So outside of family events, uh, what has been your most enjoyable day out, Paul?
2: Well, in the end, it, it, uh, enjoyable is probably a not even strong enough word, really. I would have to choose the day in 1984. I knew it. When Cliff Richard had invited us to go to White City Stadium and mm. hear this man I had never heard of called yes. Luis Palau. Yes. Who he said he's he said you and Fiona really need to hear him. This is part of our testimony that I'm yeah. I'm giving you now. I kind of I sort of havered a bit. You know? Ah <laughs> uh, well you know I'm kinda of busy Cliff and all that sort of stuff. and and Cliff said, look I'll tell you what, just pick your day and I'll buy you dinner afterwards.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I said, Okay. Okay. Bless him you know, Cliff actually had been told by the Lord to invite as many people as possible in show business to come and hear Luis Palau. Wow. And I think maybe it was it was Luis who had told him, but it, it was from the Lord anyway. But there were loads of them, including us that particular night. But, I, I mean, Luis Palau was there for about six weeks. He was, yeah. He was, yeah. Each night. Sorry? It
0: was a QPR ground, Loftus Road, wasn't it?
2: Well, yes, yes, White City Stadium, yes. Well, it had been QPR's ground. In fact, actually, I said to Cliff at the time, I said, who's this Luis Palau? I mean, he's gonna be there for a whole month? He must have delusions of grandeur. Queen's Park Rangers can't fill it on one Saturday afternoon. Oh,
0: it's nice ground though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but it actually, in the end, it, it wasn't, it wasn't just a month, it was six weeks wow. in the end, because they extended it, because so many people wanted to go.
0: Wow.
2: So anyway, we went. And one of the things that happened was that there was this kind of mini demonstration. I mean, people people thinking they were important, um, with, with kind of leaflets saying, this man is an idiot, don't believe anything he says. Oh, really? And, and sort of, you know, and trying to disrupt. Well, it was ridiculous. There were sort of over 16,000 people in that stadium, all there to hear Luis Palau. And like half a dozen or so, or maybe a dozen of these people sort of trying to demonstrate against it, which was pathetic. Anyway, I do remember that as being part of the day. And, oh, there was a huge gospel choir that it's sang, wonderful. and it's it's sort of one of the many oxymoronic elements of my atheist life, that as an atheist, I loved gospel music. <laughs> I loved Mahalia Jackson, yeah. Sister Rosetta Tharp, yeah. Sam Cook with the Soul Stirrers, all yeah. of that sort of stuff, and I just adored it. Uh, anyway, that was beautiful. Mm and then they uh, all sat down and cliff got up just with an acoustic guitar he sang two songs entirely on his own and that was lovely and then he sat down and Luis Pala got up and he started preaching and boy it was so powerful it was Mm. so precise Mm. i mean it was so precisely aimed at us Mm. and we both gave our lives to Jesus that um, day. Wow. Not only that, but we went out for dinner with Cliff and Louise Palau and a couple of those uh, other celebrities that Cliff had persuaded to come. Wow, wow!
1: Certainly, it, it goes. It's it's enjoyable, but way more than enjoyable for me. Yeah, it take the just- take
2: <laughs> the take the letters J O Y out of enjoyable and put them where you know on their own. That's, They'll do. It was joy. <laughs>
0: I've got to ask, without name dropping, obviously, the other couple that came for the meal with you and Cliff and Lewis,
2: did they ever become Christians?
1: Do you know? Don't know. Don't know. They might have done. We don't. Know. I don't.
2: I don't know. I do know that one one of them was and has remained a, a good friend of Cliff's. Oh, that's but good. Where he's at at the moment, I, I'm not sure. Oh
0: wow, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I had to, the the honour of uh, interviewing Louis Palau and spend oh. on a one-to-one with him for about an hour. What a gracious man he was. Absolutely Absolutely. Brilliant. And he then very graciously, he didn't have to, he wrote me a lovely letter afterwards, which I still kept. It was it was very, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Great stuff. This has been the longest we've ever had for these questions. It's brilliant. <laughs> That's how it should be. Because now it's a conversation piece. Yes, I knew you'd say that in 1984. Uh, I thought you were going to say the day you got married, so I got it wrong. <laughs> it's, it's like... uh, but well, that
2: was definitely a family matter. So yes. it, we, I yes. thought it was Yes, exploded. good point. Good point. You see,
1: that's the thing. You made it quite tricky because most of our really wonderful, enjoyable times have been together. Yeah. Um. And and so that's why it was hard to find something that wasn't together. That's well,
2: right. I I thought uh, I thought that White City Stadium counted because at that point. We were not family. Yeah. We, we were not married.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's great. Very well dug out, and I'll give my slap on the wrist for ever suggesting otherwise. Thank you.
2: <laughs> by, by the way, uh, just one more element of yeah. that day, which I may as well mention, is I yeah. proposed and then Jay agreed.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's right. that's right. That's pretty, isn't it? It's just a pity the White City has been knocked down there. It's a shopping centre, isn't it, I think, if I remember rightly. But, yeah, wow, brilliant. Question five, uh, what has been your most embarrassing moment? Let's go with Fiona again, please.
1: Okay, um, uh, working at the Royal Shakespeare Company was an amazing thing to do. However, during rehearsals, there are games that very often directors want to play to sort of loosen everybody up, you know, to get everybody really confident and you know, communicating with each other really, really well. And I have never, in the past, when I did that sort of thing, I never enjoyed doing these games. They always seemed really silly to me. Anyway, so here we are with this lovely director, Adrian Noble, in rehearsals. And he got everybody to stand in a big circle. And it was one of those games. And he said, I want you all, one by one, to run into the middle of the circle, leap in the air, and declare um, a Shakespearean line. And I thought, how awful is this? I do not want to do this. (laughs) And uh, very silly. I should have just got on with it, but I didn't. So everybody went, everybody went, everyone ran into the middle, leaped, said a line of Shakespeare, and ran into the other side of the circle. And eventually, everybody had gone except me. And I'm just standing there looking down at my feet And Adrian Noble kind of looked around and everybody knew that I hadn't gone. He knew that I hadn't gone. And he said, "Mm -mm." well, has everybody been? There was a silence. And I'm just looking down at my feet. And he said, all right, then let's move on. And I was so embarrassed because (laughs) I thought, why didn't you just do it? (laughs) It would have been... You didn't
2: do it because you thought you'd be embarrassed.
1: But I was more <laughs> embarrassed that I hadn't gone after all of that. So anyway, that no, that's just a
0: good point. Of... No, that's that's <laughs> a really good uh, more moral to the story. You were more embarrassed after it, even though you were yes. embarrassed beforehand. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: That's very good. No, Thank you for that. That's a, a good learning exercise. Paul, what's yours, sir?
1: Oh, his is great. His is absolutely <laughs> good
2: mine involves playing the harmonica the great composer great musical maestro henry mancini yes pink the panther. writer of among many many things moon river yeah. and so on pink panther he was recording at abbey road studios which everybody knows about and it was a a huge orchestra mm-hmm And not only a huge orchestra, but a very large choir as well. So, you know, Abbey Road Number 1, Studio 1, was really quite crammed, quite full. Masses of musicians. And uh, one of the pieces that he recorded that day, he was actually, he was doing an album which was a tribute to another composer, Ennio Morricone. Yeah, yeah, yeah and there was one particular piece that morricone had written which had very small harmonica part in it so i was booked to do this and there was henry mancini in the center of the studio and all the musicians around and the choir over at the far end on a raised platform and there was about oh I don't know, 30, 40, 50 bars of music before I came in. And it was going absolutely wonderfully. And then it was the moment when I would play the harmonica. And Mancini looked over at me and nodded and I played a wrong note. (gasps) The whole place froze silence. Mancini stood there just looking at me with a sort of quizzical expression on his face. I said, Maestro, I am very sorry. The holes in a harmonica are very small. And all the orchestra roared with laughter, they were clapping and banging their instruments. And it was it, (laughs) it was so embarrassing. Anyway, we went for a second take and this time we got it. But my Goodness, I have never got over completely the humiliation of that moment.
0: Oh wow, wow! It was a good answer though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost as good as uh, it's all in the right order, but not uh, all the no, I'm playing all the right yes. notes, but not necessarily yes. in the right order. Yeah, it, that's yeah, brilliant. Can you remember what the piece of music was, Paul, by a chance? <sighs>
2: It's gone
0: because if it was Ennio Morricone, I think it's a fistful of dollars. There's a, a classic piece of harmonica in that. That uh, if you know the if you know the prog rock band Muse, they've nicked that and they play the harmonica version of it, especially on the, the live album.
2: Oh no, no, it's it it, it wasn't that. No, definitely not. It's no, a good story, what, was it? I don't know.
0: It's <laughs> a good story. Thank you, guys, for those questions and those answers. Absolutely brilliant. Really enjoyed listening to them. I said right at the very beginning, Paul and Fiona, in my introduction uh, about th- this can be a, a show, a programme, a podcast, whatever you want to call it, to encourage those that are, are being disillusioned. And throughout your career, you know, especially when you become a, a, a Christian and you say going for a, a, a job interview, um, an audition, and you might feel disillusioned as a result of not getting it. What does the word disillusioned mean to you guys?
2: Disillusioned. It, it, to get disillusioned, you have to have an illusion in the first place. I, I, I suppose atheism was my, disillusion, my illusion. Mm. And uh, I tell you, when the prospect of possibly becoming a Christian arose, I was frightened. I was frightened because I had been so confident and mouthy uh, about being an atheist. I was so sure that I was right, that I could see... Humiliation on the horizon, Mm. and I didn't want it. But when the moment came, I was so happy. I was so overjoyed, actually, Mm. to say goodbye to the nonsense of atheism. All that kind of apprehension about people would laugh at me and all that sort of stuff. Who cares? Of course people laugh at you. They think they're so smart, I know because I was there. Yeah, yeah. When, you know, my goodness, if only they could all know and understand.
1: Well I mean the thing is that you're disillusioned, I, I remember being disillusioned with just this life, uh, living this life without the Lord, because you know, it, you know it's that scripture isn't it that says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? loses his life his Mm -hmm. soul Mm -hmm. um you know this world you can gain you know we know people who have a lot and they said it never satisfied they were always disillusioned and we relate to that Mm -hmm. but when you come to the one who made you suddenly there's purpose in everything you do there is a purpose in your life so that would be disillusionment yeah, for, yeah. for me and uh, probably you, Ooh. yes. What, what's it like as an
0: actor then to uh, go for a, a, a job, you're thinking, I'm going to get it, only to find out that you didn't get it despite giving it your all? Uh, obviously,
1: it's disappointing. And it's very disappointing. But it depends where you're coming from. Hmm. Before I became a Christian, yeah, I'd, I'd go away feeling terribly insecure, you know, desperately upset. And and thinking, what could I have done better? Well, it was probably nothing you could do better because it's often to do with the height or the size of you or the colour of you or whatever. But after I became a Christian, there was there's this more sort of well, that wasn't meant to be. There's something better. But it is just, of course it's disappointing, isn't it? If if you go for something and yeah, you've yeah. given all your your heart, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not bad for us because. You know, there's always something better along the way. There's always going to be something better along the way. Mm -hmm. You
0: said something there, Fiona, actually. I'm glad you said the word, and I was insecure. And I didn't know whether to ask you this question or not from when I was thinking up last night. But I remember interviewing the lead actor, uh, round about 2000, 2001, for the travelling version of uh, When an Inspector Calls. And we had an amazing an hour, an hour and a half in the studio. And we ended up discussing why actors can be very insecure people off stage. And it's as if it's the audience adulation that they crave, you know, to, to feel that they're wanted. And that's what that's what drives them. What, what, what are your views on that?
1: I would just very quickly to say, also, I think the thing is, you're, you're absolutely right. When you become a character, you're not you. It's very nice to become someone else, to go into your dressing room in the evening before the show put on that wig, put on that, that makeup of that particular character, put on those clothes that you're going to wear, read that script so you're going to be in that play, you're going to be portraying that that person, it's not you. So you can then become that person fully. And I I, I think it's absolutely true, a lot of people who are actors or artists, creative people, are very sensitive people and, um, creative people often are they they often wear their hearts on their sleeves and they they feel greatly and are are, are sort of more likely to fall into emotional heights or Mm. lows Mm. um so playing a person is a lovely way to sort of hide yourself outside of that it becomes you know difficult um sometimes i think
2: yeah yeah. paul i agree with all of that Mm. (laughs) I also think this. I guess I was quite fortunate, really, because in the very early days of acting, for me, you know, I'd, I'd had hit records and all sorts of things like that, but I never, well, not since not since the sixth form at school have I done any <laughs> acting. I actually was schooled just uh, before I accepted the, the very first thing I did on the stage in London by a director who who was very, very keen on uh, the method. And one of the things that he instilled in me was that the job of any actor, whether he's playing Hamlet or Yorick, <laughs> I can't be playing Yorick, that's a skull. All right. but, but, or um, or Baron
0: breath. The,
2: the gravedigger.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, whether he's playing Hamlet or the gravedigger has the same purpose to serve the play to serve what the evening is going to be for the audience okay. and once you when you have that attitude there's no kind of what about me in it if you if you what about me once you've gone wrong you're off the
1: it's teamwork isn't it yeah in a play yeah Yeah. teamwork
2: once you are more important than the Mm -hmm. play you're wrong
1: but i mean obviously not everybody you know that not everybody there are some very wonderful confident people who are actors you know off stage you know when they're not playing you know they there are people that are are you know very sure and not insecure but sometimes that sort of tenderness Makes people very good at what they do, you know. You know, songwriters and and singers sometimes those people who have that kind of tenderness that maybe tendency to get a little bit insecure are actually amazing when they perform. Very, very, Mm -hmm. they can really get to the bottom of a character very, very beautifully.
0: Would it be fair or unfair to say that maybe musicians are more stronger in their character, less insecure or than actors, or would it be about the same? Do you think, Paul?
2: I think it's kind of different with singers because unless you're in a, you know, unless you're in an opera, when the, really the same rules apply as in a play. If when when you're doing a song, another song, a third song, and a fourth song, yeah, that then the plot changes slightly because you're you yes you're you're there to do the song to the best of your ability, and sometimes actually that requires. Well, it, um, it does with acting and singing. It requires desiring to do the best thing technically that you can do, as well as emotionally and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So I do think, though, that as far as sort of popular music is concerned, singing can be very much part of a, an ego trip, much more than acting am i right about that possibly <laughs>
1: possibly i mean i think people perform differently it, mm. it depends some people vocally are very talented are more like an instrument and they they sing as if they're a saxophone or something yeah, yeah. Mm. others others have got great voices but are, are going to think about the words a bit more and uh, you know you've got both but and other
2: people think about the moves
1: other people think about the moves.
2: Throwing the shapes. Yes. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You know, everybody's different and it's all, yeah. the, uh, it's all, you know, whatever the creative thing that's in that person, I suppose. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Well, how easy or difficult is can it be then for a husband and wife, Paul and Fiona, to be in the entertainment business?
1: It's been really easy and good. Yeah. And I think it's what's been good about it is that you understand each other you know, I, I I understand, you know, the the concerts and, and the late nights and all yeah. of those things. And Paul has always understood, you know, what I've been doing and then doing ministry together. It's great, actually, because it's really been easy for us. We It's not like one is saying, why are you doing this, this and this? Because we completely get it.
2: Yes. When we do ministry, I mean, it's it sort of, it's grown out of just, giving our testimony, it's kind of, I do this, you do that, I do this, you do that, and it flows and builds together. And so, once again, we know that we're both in service Mm. of the finished result. Mm.
0: Yeah, good. Fiona, um, because of your husband, and obviously you know quite a lot of his songs and most probably all of them, and the films, have you seen the film Privilege that he starred in?
1: No, I, I've never seen that. They're, you know, Paul looks great and he looks really young, but there is actually an age gap between us. So, uh, so it's actually 17 and a half years. Yeah, so, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't referring to
0: when it came out, by
2: the way.
1: Oh, right, oh, right. No, 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 no. Of course you weren't. I, I assumed you weren't. But no, I haven't seen it. I've, I've seen pictures and, and things like that. Paul sort of told me a little bit about it and I thought, mm, it's probably not the kind
0: of film that I would enjoy, so I've never watched it, no. Well, I must, I must admit, there's a, there is a trailer for it on our IMDb, which I was, I was watching last night. And the reason I'm saying this, it's about a, a worshipped pop singer who is disillusioned, apparently. Uh, amazingly, the Church of England want him to boost church attendance. And it's a misuse of power in an age of an illusion, is one of the comments that's made. And his handlers want him to support God and country next. And I'm thinking, Whoa! You know, this this is before you became a Christian. I wonder how much that film had an influence on you, trying to bring you out of your illusionment of of atheism, Paul.
2: Well, actually, that film would have strengthened my atheism because the picture (laughs) of uh, what the church was like was not attractive. (laughs) No, mind you, it it would have disillusioned one not merely about the church, but about politics and about most other things as well. (laughs) I think Peter Watkins, the director, was very much on the warpath against the establishment of any kind. And I just basically went along with it. It was an interesting job in as much as I'd never done anything like it before. But I'd have to say that Not only has Fiona not seen it since then, but I haven't seen it since then either. (laughs) And it certainly wouldn't be how I, you know, if I weren't in it, I would look at that sort of trailer or something Mm. and go, well, that's something I won't be watching. (laughs) Uh, So... Yeah, no, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, about that. It's <laughs> worth
0: watching the trailer because it's done by an American, yeah, and the voiceover is an American, so it's obviously the American market. So, uh, quite an interesting take from that point of view alone. But, uh, let's, <laughs> let's move on from that.
2: In the long run, mm. I believe that it has done better in America than it ever did over here. All oh, right, it was pronounced a flop, and uh, I'm not sure it ever made any money. Wow, but uh, all of which is sort of neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned, now and yeah, yeah. at any time in between.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for that. But I tell you what, I, I would love to ask you guys, and there is a reason for this, because do some research on both of you, it turns out that, um, Paul, you dropped out of university. What were you studying?
2: I was reading English. Ah. English literature.
0: And what made you give up?
2: What made me do that or no, what, what made me stop? What
0: made you give up? Yeah, what made you give up?
2: Music. I've been sort of toying with music for a while. But yeah, from from sort of skiffle in 1956 onwards. But I heard sort of jazz and blues while I was at university. And um, I'd heard those things before I went to university, but it had been sort of, oh, that's great. I like to do that. Uh, Well, Like listening to that. But something happened during that uh, first year that I was at university. I actually heard a record by an artist called T-Bone Walker,
1: mm.
2: wonderful electric guitarist, and one of the earliest people to uh, amplify the guitar. He also had a harmonica player on this particular record that I heard. And that was a guy called Junior Wells. Yes. and I thought I'm wasting my time with this uh university business <laughs> I I want to do that for a living yeah 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 so I started to do that and I just hardly spent any time working on the english literature and um went from
0: there Wow. good reason I'm asking this, and Vienna, I'd love to know, before you became an actress, did you have a, a, a serious job before then?
1: No. No, I didn't. I started, you know, I did ballet when I was a little girl, like lots of little girls. Uh, it went really well. And so my, da- my dancing teacher decided that I needed to go to the Royal Ballet. She thought I would be able to get in. I was very wow. tiny. I'm quite tall now. But I was very small at that point, very small and and short. It took a long time to grow. <laughs> but anyway, so I I auditioned for the Royal Ballet, and they measured me. And when they measured me, they measured that I was going to be very tall. Mm. Well, I'm not that tall, but I'm five yeah. foot nine and a half. So, and they they wouldn't take me. So at that point, I mean, talk about disillusioned yeah. that I was. My little heart was and and uh, so i decided then to sort of go into the drama a bit and uh, into into singing a bit so that's what happened so i just progressed that way and then studied dance and drama and and all of that kind of thing and so no i began you know as soon as i left studying i started auditioning at 19 years of age i went up from my very first west end show i didn't have an agent I got hold of a newspaper called The Stage mm-hmm. Newspaper. I, I don't know if it's still going, but it probably is. And on the back pages of The Stage Newspaper are auditions. And I saw this and it said, the life story of Elvis Presley at the Astoria Theatre. One girl was leaving, Need a girl to be able to sing and dance rock and roll to take over from this girl that was leaving. And so I thought to myself, could I do this? It was an open audition, which meant that, you know, you didn't have to have an agent. And I'd done absolutely nothing. And so I just decided to turn up on this open audition day. And, of course, when I got to the stage door, there were a big back yeah. queue of girls going right around the block. And they were all kind of dressed up in their sort of show business outfits. And I got on the end of the queue. And I, I, I wasn't prepared at all. And these girls obviously knew a a bit because they were sort of in their silver sparkly shoes and big hair and big makeup and i was standing on the end of this queue in my jeans and jumper thinking oh dear oh dear me <laughs> anyway bit by bit i i went in and i did audition and i remember singing i don't know how to love him from jesus christ superstar i was so nervous i mean i literally could not spit I I had no spit in my mouth at all. It was very, very difficult to sing, but somehow I made it through that audition. And I was so nervous that I was sort of hitting notes I didn't normally hit, you know, it was just fear, really. I was just hitting these notes and singing the song in a kind of... And when I finished, the musical director came running to the front and he said, Fiona. I said, yes. He said, "Um, that was amazing. And I said, I know. (laughs) And he said, I'm going to give you the job, and so it was a complete surprise. Wow. So that's how I then went into that show Elvis. The swing girl who taught me the steps, the dance steps, and all the moves and everything was Tracy Ullman Don't know if you know who I mean by Tracy. Oh Ullman. no,
0: I do. Because that did you remember? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you more in a minute. Carry on.
1: So, so Tracy and I actually at that point became really good friends, and. So there were four girls in the show. Uh, There were two bands. uh, And then there were three Elvises playing the young Elvis, the middle Elvis. Shakin Stevens was the middle Elvis. And then there was the sort of Las Vegas Elvis. And (laughs) I was one of the four and I absolutely loved it. And the girl I was taking over from was a really beautiful girl called, uh, she was a bit older than me Uh, anyway i won't say her name but she was a christian now here i am i'm not a christian and she was a christian and everybody talked about how lovely i'll say her first name her name was anna and everybody said oh anna was lovely anna was this anna's this something else and i was fascinated by this girl anna and we stayed in touch for a little while and she invited me to waterloo where there was going to be a meeting run by cliff richard and Nigel Goodwin, oh. um, and yes, and the art Centre Group. The Arts Centre Group, and it was for 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 people in the theatre world to come and hear the gospel, have some wine, and have something to mm. eat. And I began to go there from time to time. So that was, yeah. But no, I went straight from from study. Went straight into West End shows and into plays and touring and. And Very early at 22, I got into the Royal National Theatre. Wow, wow, so that uh, was very exciting.
0: Wow. Yeah, well, right at the very beginning, I said I have uh, additional questions for you. And the question for Paul was, What is the connection between Shaking Stevens, PJ Proby, and Tracy Ullman?
1: No, oh, wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was the question. Now, would Paul have got the answer?
2: Well, I suppose it is Elvis, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. um, but was Shaking Stevens was the Was the middle one? Tracy was in it, yes, but Proby was originally in it. The the last one wasn't he? He was originally the Las Vegas
1: Vegas one.
2: He had to go and he was replaced by Bogdan Komanovsky. That's
1: right, that's right.
2: I haven't, so yeah, that was I I would have got that, (laughs) but only because because I know. Wow. that's true. Wow.
0: But you see, the thing is, it's like, I suppose it's like going back to Joseph, follow your dream. Your dream was obviously to be involved in ballet stroke drama without having a job beforehand, whereas Paul had a job. But he then wanted to pursue his career in music. And I'm I'm hoping that we could sort of tie this up by saying that those listening today, if you have a dream and you haven't done anything about it, pray about
1: it and see where God takes you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm absolutely he wants to do that you know we have you know if if you ever feel inside yourself there should be more there's got to be more than this it's because there is more Mm -hmm. we were all created for the more and we were all created everybody's got something that they can do and that they love to do and that they're passionate to do and they want to do and we shouldn't suppress that we should pray and say father help me Help me get yeah. well in fact it's interesting because I was about a week ago I was praying and I was just praying over our year and I was praying over the things that are coming up in our lives and and there are some things that are oh deep in my heart that I want to see happen. And and the Lord spoke in my heart just and he just said these words. He just said, I'll get you there, my daughter. Wow. I'll get you there. Wow. And I just, oh, tears came, and I just said, thank you, Father, thank you. Mm. And he wants to get us all there, whatever it is, whoever you are, whatever the situation, he wants to get us there, wherever all there is. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Well, my dream has always been for Bristol City to win the FA Cup, but I don't see that. (laughs) I can't quite see that in God's plan somehow. But you just never know. You just never know. (laughs) (laughs) Be half if it was. Uh, Listen, we're running out of time, so we we better close really with uh, the hero slot, if that's all right. Every time we do a a podcast, I always ask for the guest or guests to share who their favourite Christian hero is. The Christian hero has to be someone that's dead, and not in the Bible. That way, we can't be told in years to come. oh would well, you remember t- choosing such and such and whatever? So, with that in mind, uh, who would like to go first?
1: You want to? After go? you, All right. ladies first. Okay. All right. Well, my, I mean, my hero obviously is the Lord, but this man, his name Kenneth Hagen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: became a reverend, a wonderful, wonderful man who had an amazing testimony. He shouldn't have been born really his mother had him at home midwife there she was extremely extremely ill he was born so tiny you could put him in the palm of your hand the midwife checked him over checked him over thought no he's dead put him in a a brown paper bag and was going to bury him in the garden because she was more concerned about his mother who was very very sick but just before she went to put him in the garden, she thought, oh, I'll take him out one more time and have a look at him. And she thought, well, there seems to be some sort of life about him. She boiled a little glass container, put some boiled milk in it, and tried to put it to his tiny little lips. Of course, he started to splutter, so she knew he was alive. Mm. And he grew up very weakly, very sick, all of this when he was 16 years of age, he was bedfast, And they said that would happen to him. He had some kind of organic heart situation. But do you know what? He didn't want to die. They said, no, you're going to die. You will die. And you, just doctors, everybody, mm. he had people come who were sort of men of the cloth, came to say, it's all right, my mm. boy, it'll soon be over. It'll soon be over. But what was amazing about this Kenneth Hagen? is he wouldn't give up. He got hold of a Bible and in his lucid moments during a day, which were very few, he would read the Bible. He got to Mark chapter 11 in the Bible in the New Testament, where it says, and when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. Believe you receive the answer to your prayer and you shall have it. He asked God to heal him. <sighs> He meditated on that scripture for months and months and months. And one day he said to the Lord, I believe, I believe that I am healed. Would you help me? And the Lord showed him how he could actually manifest that healing. He said to him, I want you to believe you are healed before you even see the changes in your body. And Kenneth Hagin said, I see it. I see it, I believe that I receive my healing even though I don't feel it right now. And he tried to get out of bed, put his little paralyzed legs over the side of the bed, managed to get himself to the pole, wooden pole that was here, like like a sort of a four a poster. Full poster. Really, oh, poster. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he pulled himself up and he felt these pins and needles going through his body. And yet, even though it was very, very painful. He could feel parts of his body he'd never felt before. Well, go on to say he began to walk bit by bit and he had a miracle of healing when he was meant to die. He went on, spent the rest of his days on earth telling people of the goodness of God. And I just love that courage and that oomph. And because of that, I would say he has been such a hero. Every time I felt a little down, I thought about his testimony, and thought, "Wow, Lord, you're so great. You are a miracle worker." How many years,
0: years Fiona? How many years ago are we talking about for Kenneth Hagen?
1: How many years did he live or how many
0: when when we talk about the the, the time span when when well,
2: he was around he, he died he died what, about something f- like ten years ago yeah maybe like maybe
1: maybe fifteen years ago so I mean, uh, he was
2: he was about eighty four eighty five
1: a little bit older than uh, that eight, he was about eighty six eighty seven uh, when uh, he, well, when yeah, he yeah. went to heaven in
2: other words, having been given up for dead any day now yes. yeah he then had seventy seventy years of ministry
1: yeah wow and such courage mm. and he wouldn't take what the doctors had said as you know that's the end of it yes and i just love that courage
0: yes i've heard the name thank you for sharing that okay yeah that will encourage many people i'm, I'm sure pray and see what happens that's great thank you paul good sir uh, who is your christian hero please
2: well mine is very simple her late majesty queen elizabeth ii wow i was very young when she acceded to the throne. She wasn't much older, actually. And she wasn't my hero at that time, although her dad was my dad's hero. Oh,
0: really? Um,
2: My father cried. I mean, he was not a man given to crying very much, but he cried when King George VI died. And uh, I remember that very distinctly. Anyway, I just sort of didn't really take much particular notice of, of the Queen. But over over years, of course, off, by the time we had become Christians, it started to be very obvious that we had a person on the throne of this country who was a very serious, committed, convicted Christian mm-hmm. herself. And over the last years I've seen that growing in strength and in boldness Mm -hmm. and uh, to the point where she was making quite sure that people who helped with the speech writing knew that they had to get that in. Mm -hmm. Considering how many people would sort of rather we had a republic or weren't in the least bit uh, impressed with her beliefs, and wanted to be atheist and and indeed mocked those beliefs. she was very, very strong, and this aroused my admiration some years ago and for the last ten years or so of her life, she really became you have to say heroine, don't you, but she certainly did become somebody that I could. Make a hero of.
0: Yeah, it was certainly. I think in the last twenty years, the Christmas messages all of a sudden took off in a direction of she's yeah. open about her faith. It was, it was mind blowing. What happened there? Absolutely fantastic. It, yes.
1: it really yeah. was, wasn't it? It yeah. really was. Yeah. It was as if she thought to herself, "I've got to be bold now yeah. because I'm not going to be here forever, and I need to do something." Yes. Wasn't it? Was Yes. It, is
2: yes. It yes. There was a an imperative there. Yes. Something. I think it was gradual rather than sudden but anyway it it was something massively impressive to me.
0: Yes, yeah. I remember going to Windsor Chapel oh this is 20 years ago and I wanted to see inside the famous poem that King George VI made famous just to see where it was because I knew by then that you know he was a Christian what he had to go through that then passed on to to Elizabeth was was quite something. Did either of you ever get the chance to meet the queen?
2: No. No, we we did we met her sister more than once when yeah. we were doing Guys and Dolls.
1: Oh wow!
2: And around that time, and
1: different different West End shows um, yeah. royalty would come afterwards, yeah. and then we would Princess have Princess Anne. The, yeah. would, would come. We we, yeah. we did go to a party with Princess Anne there uh, one time, and yeah. um, and we had a, a lovely chat with her, didn't we, about ice skating? actually. she really likes ice skating. Oh right. Wasn't oh, that that's Margaret. Margaret yes, excuse and, me. Uh, it was Princess Margaret. Uh, forgive
2: me. Yeah. Princess Anne like at the, the, the Savoy, for yes. some reason. yeah. <laughs> these yeah. these things sort of yeah, yeah. Uh, do.
0: You've chosen two great heroes. Thank you so much, Paul. And thank you so much, Fiona, for joining us today. It's been an absolute privilege for me to listen to you. And just thank you so much for spending the time today. It's been fantastic. Thank well, you so thank much. Thank you for having us. No, thank you. Thank indeed. you so thank much. You. Bye-bye.